It is something I have always wanted to do. And in the midst of this pandemic, with time to spare and a mind that's always moving 100 miles an hour, I figured, what the hell? So this is my podcast. Welcome. I'm Josh Getzoff. If you've randomly stumbled upon this, thank you so much for making it this far. And I do hope your ears continue to want to listen beyond this point. If you clicked on this link on purpose... Well, that was pretty awesome of you, and I hope you stick around as well. This will be called the Drink at the Rink Podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm all about rhyming up in here. For those of you unfamiliar with who I am, I'm a broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the National Hockey League. And outside of work, one of my favorite things I enjoy doing is having a beer, a glass of whiskey, a glass of wine, a cocktail. Yeah, I like to dabble in all of it. Turns out those two things, hockey and drinking, are two fairly easy things to bridge. And so that is how I landed on the name, Drink at the Rink. These episodes will feature conversations with various people affiliated with the great game of hockey in some capacity. We're talking about our favorite drinks. We're talking about our favorite stories from the rink. And today I wanted to start things off with a former NHL player still playing professionally in the American Hockey League with the Grand Rapids Griffins, the Detroit Red Wings AHL affiliate. And yes, my former line mate with the Winter Sport Royals Youth Hockey Association. We played squirt and peewee together. We go way back. And yes, he has some stories to tell. It's Eric Tangrati, a guy whose pro career has taken him from the United States to Canada to Kazakhstan and back again. And you're about to hear it all. So thanks for giving this podcast a listen. And without further ado, here's episode one of the Drink at the Rink podcast featuring pro hockey player Eric Tangrati. The first ever guest on the Drink at the Rink podcast. My former teammate, former line mate, I'm sure he refers to me the same way, Eric Tangrati. Eric, what's up? Thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, uh, like I said, I, or I appreciate you having me be the first guest. I feel like um, our hockey path started pretty much at the same time. We went different directions, but uh, here we are, um, man, probably 17, 18 years later. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Uh, the Winter Sport Royals seems like a different lifetime for both of us, I'm sure. But uh, we'll touch on that. We'll touch on a bunch of different things. And, you know, when it came to this podcast, I figured with everything going on in the world right now, I've, I've basically painted every room in my house. I've redone my garage, been into the podcast game from the listening side. So I figured might as well jump in from the host side. And I'm glad I could have you on for the first episode. It's uh, it's exciting to reconnect with you. Obviously, getting to see you in person a couple times over the last couple of years. But this is the next best thing with everything going on, as I mentioned. So uh, appreciate you taking the time. But how have you been? How's everything been with the family? Uh, I know you're recovering from a, an injury there towards the end of the season. What's what's the latest on all that? Yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling 100%. Um, it, it was kind of a whirlwind season for me. Uh, I had made the plunge to go try and uh, test out the uh, the KHL over in Kazakhstan where I was, and um, it was definitely a different experience. And, and to come back, I was fortunate enough to sign back with the Detroit uh, organization in Grand Rapids and um, got off to a really great start and uh, had a little hurdle in the road with some injuries, but um, body feels great. 31 years old, my mind feels good. Um, I'm just hoping with... Um, kind of all the um, setbacks in the world right now that we can just get back to some hockey and some normalcy and I can get a, a good four or five more years out of my career and then continue to chase the, the love of the game of hockey. Well said. I like the, the sound of that and I hope for the same for you for sure. Uh, well, so the name of this podcast, as I said, just kind of, it's, it's a work in progress, but I came up with it one day walking my dog. I'm like, how can I bridge 
two of my favorite things in the world. And uh, not that I'm a you know alcoholic, but I do enjoy a beverage here and there. And then obviously the game of hockey, as you mentioned, something that goes way back in both of our lives. So we start the podcast by talking a little bit about drinks. And I mentioned it being the summertime. It's it's pandemic time, I guess. NHL hockey's still a month plus away with that new reformat and the broadcast or the uh, playoff situation. So what is the the beverage of choice right now in, in the Tangrati household? So for us, I think it's just trying to, like you said, it's try to get the summer vibes uh, going a little bit. So uh, for us, we've been doing a um, little bit of Tito's, some club, and a splash of orange juice. So um, some fruity, uh, it's a little bit of sugar, but at the same time, uh, the bubbles make uh, make it go down nice. So that's kind of been our, um, our drink to, to, to spice up the mood a little bit with the great weather we've had in Pittsburgh lately. Yeah, a little refreshing uh, summertime drink right there. And it's interesting too, Eric, because, you know, in looking back on your career, you've been able to travel the world uh, with your hockey career, just uh, in terms of, you know, your junior career, obviously being played in Canada and in North America with your pro hockey career. And then obviously, as you mentioned, going over to Kazakhstan and playing in the KHL. We're going to get to all that, but. When you think about the stops that you made in your career, and I say to you, you just played a game, maybe, you know, result aside, you're a little banged up, you just need a, a quick beverage to settle things down with the boys after the game, where uh, is, comes to mind as far as uh, maybe a spot that you used to frequent or a spot that you would go for that beer that, that tasted a little extra good after uh, a game? So for me, it's obviously varied from, from my age and where I was at in my career because sometimes um, atmosphere was almost more important than uh, the choice of drink. So um, for me, when I spent my time in Pittsburgh, sometimes it just kind of sit back and feel a little bit like a college student. Uh, you know, Shady Side or the South Side was nice to, to just grab a cold beer. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, um, more of finding a, a quiet lounge, good lighting, um, that type of experience and maybe just have a Macallan 12 on the rocks kind of uh, uh, with a steak or something like that would be kind of a little bit of therapy to help me unwind after a game and uh, always felt like there's so many emotions that go into a hockey game you know you're drinking coffee at six o'clock at night um, your heart rate's up and, and sometimes I just sit back have a nice meal and, and have um, uh, a nice cold glass of scotch to settle things down for the night always seemed to help me uh, recharge refresh and then at the same time get to sleep. I like that. You're checking all the boxes as far as things that would taste pretty good in those situations, uh, from my perspective at least. Uh, I'm going to throw a recommendation out there. You mentioned Pittsburgh. Just recently was over at the, uh, I don't know how big of a wine guy you are, but I, I don't want to say the name wrong. The Refusillo Winery in the north side uh, in Pittsburgh. It's an uh, Argentinian winery. They bring in all their stuff from Argentina. Just was there over the last handful of days with my wife. Uh, we actually saw a band play there, our friend's band. Uh, and met the owner, Juan. Great spot. He gave me a Malbec on the house, which I've had. It's delicious. Uh, I know not exactly a summer wine, but they have the whites, too. Uh, great little back patio. So you guys uh, have to check that out. And everyone listening can try to check that out if you have uh, some time here on these summer nights ahead. Yeah, definitely. When you say Argentina, I, I, that's the first thing I think about is, uh, is Malbec. So, um, yeah, I'll have to check that out. And I, I'm definitely a pro red wine guy, regardless of the – I know a lot of people like to mix their whites with the seafood and the reds with the steaks, but I'm, I'm a straight red guy all the way through. And uh, definitely a Malbec is uh, one of my top choices as well, so I'll have to put that on the list. Yeah, definitely check it out. I'm with you there, red all the way uh, as far as wine is concerned. All right, so we have our drinks. Let's get to the rink, and a lot of stories to be shared here. So, again, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, part of eight NHL seasons 
in hockey rinks for you, Eric. Uh, let's go back, though, to when you, you really burst on the national scene, the Ontario Hockey League, now defunct, which I remember a couple of years ago, I was surprised to see that. I hadn't followed the OHL particularly closely, but saw that the Belleville Bulls were no longer in existence. Now the, the Senators AHL team in Belleville. Uh, but you had three seasons there, had a lot of success, played in a Memorial Cup. What was that whole experience like, you know, from an American kid basically playing all your minor hockey in Pennsylvania to go play high-level junior? What, what was that experience like? It was incredible. I mean, when you're a kid from Philadelphia, and when, when I look back at it still to this day, I believe, um, there's only a handful of guys from the city limits of Philadelphia that played in the NHL. Um, you know, my dad and I, we really had no clue how to advance my hockey career. And um, growing up, you always hear that Canadians are avid hockey fans, but you can't really put your mind to it until you go up there and have that experience. And for me, it was, you know, 16 years old going into an OHL training camp. It was it was my first eye-opening experience to hockey is life here. Um, we're talking a town of 50,000, 60,000 people with two, 3,000 people for a scrimmage and training camp. Um, I looked over at my dad and I, I just said, this, this is for me. This is where I want to play. And, um, once he had heard that they were, <laughs> they do free equipment, he, he pretty much packed me a bag on the spot and said, get out of that house. But, um, <laughs> no, um, I, I just knew being six foot three, um, maybe just a raw skater at that time that league was going to turn me into a man as fast as possible and um the friendships the experiences um you go from playing 30 to 40 minor hockey league games or minor minor games in bantam to playing a 68 game schedule and best of seven playoff series all the way through you're pretty much turned into a pro style player from 16 on um a lot of people choose college a lot of people choose major junior and i just feel like where i was that was the right choice for me and i wouldn't have had the career and had the success that i've had um now if it wasn't for the experience i had in belleville well, it was awesome watching you in Belleville and getting to see you play in that Memorial Cup in 2008. But uh, your last year there, when I looked at some of the rosters with that team, you guys had a pretty loaded team. Uh, and that's not to say the other teams weren't. Obviously, as, as I mentioned, the 08 team went to the Memorial Cup. But yourself, P.K. Subban, Nick Palmieri, Philip Grubauer, those were some names uh, that jumped out to me on the roster. Do you stay in touch with those guys? Yeah, time to time. I mean, I've crossed paths. Um, playing some NHL games with teammates and, you know, it's, it's just kind of a, a quick smile and a hello after the game. And, and with PK, he's, he's so busy, um, with his, uh, social life and, and, and charity and those types of things. So we're able to kind of catch, catch up and check in with each other a couple times a year, but it's just really nice to see, um, all the guys we had in the three years that I was there, the success that that group has had and, and kind of what kind of people we've turned into. It's a huge credit to George Burnett, who was the coach and GM there, that we're able to have that success and um, and to be 31 and still have a lot of those guys still playing professional hockey is a, is a great achievement. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in particular, you think about some of those names, and you mentioned P.K. Subban, and it's it's so funny to me because this is a guy, first of all, I just want to say that I, I think that I have style and I try to dress well, but I am a disaster most of the time. P.K. Subban has got it going on uh, from top to bottom every single game. So did he have that style in Belleville? Like, was could you see the signs and the seeds that were being planted for that, or was it all kind of something that blossomed as his career did? 
Well, that's the funny part. I think his personality had always been there from the day that I met him. But um, I think becoming um, kind of that fashion icon and, and taking pride in the way he dressed definitely came later because we would always joke with him um, when he first started pro that, you know, we've only seen him in sweatpants and a sweatshirt our whole time in juniors. And um, now he's in the custom suits and uh, <laughs> custom hats all the time. So I think that's uh, his personality. He's always been fun and outgoing. And I think once he got to the professional level with hockey, he wanted to uh, find a way to express that to another level. And I think his, his fashion and um, the way he carries himself was shown uh, a little bit uh, later in his career for sure. So he moves on to the NHL, as did you, uh, getting drafted second round in 2007 by the Anaheim Ducks, which I know, as you mentioned earlier, being a Philly area kid as growing up and playing in that hockey system there, it was a huge deal. Everyone was excited for you back then to see you get drafted in the NHL, and uh, let alone the second round. Uh, pretty amazing accomplishment. But as far as your time with Anaheim was concerned, you never actually played in the system. You get dealt to Pittsburgh and play part of four seasons with the Penguins, also uh, in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. And kind of to that idea that you mentioned as far as the, the Philly angle, I know Wilkes-Barre is in Philadelphia. I know Pittsburgh, you and I can both speak to this, definitely is not Philadelphia, not necessarily in a bad way. Just we know that people here don't uh, exactly care for people from there uh, and vice versa. But, but how cool is it when you look back and you think about the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm a Pennsylvania-born kid and I played a giant chunk of my pro career in the state I grew up in. I mean, from your family's perspective, from your perspective, that has to be pretty unique. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, for me, like I said, I moved um, six and a half, seven hours away as a sophomore in high school um, to Belleville, Ontario. So a lot of people who, you know, had been following me or had helped kind of with my success, um, it was kind of just, you know, see them for three months in the summer and catch up. And um, for me to start my pro career in Wilkesbury, which was an hour and a half up the, the Northeast Extension, um, it was really cool to have that experience because then um, all those people who did help with my success and, and all those people who did want to follow me were able to make trips up north to, to watch games. I, I know my dad, um, he, he was insane to an extent to working Monday through Friday, driving seven hours to Canada to catch two games and drive home. Um, this gave him the opportunity to pretty much be a season ticket holder and, and, and enjoy kind of watching the progress of my career that close to home. Yeah, that had to have been pretty special for you. One thing that I think is really interesting, too, as far as that dynamic is what I mentioned a little bit earlier, that you're from Philadelphia and you end up in the Penguins organization. And for me, that's been a really easy way uh, to tell a lot of people that I'm from Philadelphia without directly saying it when I talk to people that are affiliated with the Penguins and I tell them that I grew up and I played with you for a bit when we were younger and then they make the connection. And it's kind of funny to watch everything dot up in their head and they realize – Oh, okay. You're from Philly. Uh, <laughs> and they kind of, we moved past it, though. But I, I was curious for your perspective because I know one game, and I still want to say thank you for this. You were able to get my dad and I you know, get to get downstairs after a game between the Penguins and Flyers at Wells Fargo Center to catch up for a minute. Um, but going back to Philadelphia as a Penguin, I know you did it a handful of times. What was that experience like? Was it weird? I mean, was it – were you beyond that point of being from Philadelphia when, you know, you'd worn a couple different sweaters, lived in a couple different places? What was that like? It was, it was definitely a, a different feeling. It was definitely exciting. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of different emotions that came with it. I mean, I remember, you know, at the time, 
Uh, this is when Facebook was kind of the prime social media aspect for us. And, um, you know, I had people from high school and tons of messages and they all had kind of the same narrative of, Hey man, we wish you good luck, but we hope you lose five one and you score a goal. Um, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the, the, how the people of Philadelphia, um, they work. They, they appreciate that you're there, but there's, uh, there's more important things to them, and that's, that's the Flyers and, and Philly sports. And uh, kind of a great story I have from that experience is we had played a playoff series against uh, the Flyers when I was a part of the Penguins, and uh, we went into Wells Fargo, and we ended up winning, I think it was 10-3. to 3. Um, it, was, it was kind of a little bit of a beatdown, and I remember us leaving the arena and where Xfinity Live is, for those familiar with uh, Philadelphia, there was a ton of fans. They came running out in the street and yelling at our bus, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I look out in the crowd, and someone takes three steps and throws a full beer right at the side of the bus, and he just bang, and it hits. And I look closely out my window, and sure enough, it's a kid I went to high school with, and I text him, and I just said, hey, did you throw a full beer at our bus? And he said, oh, yeah, I didn't even put that together. Sorry, man. <laughs> so that's just kind of, if I could ever explain the Pittsburgh-Philly rivalry from a kid from Philadelphia, I always explain it from the kid in high school that I went to who threw a full beer at the bus and couldn't even put together that someone he went to high school with was on that bus. Oh, that is unbelievable. Yeah, it's the logos. They look, they don't look past the logos. It's whoever's associated with that is in trouble uh, on either side. That's great. I know the couple times that I've gone back there and called games, it's, it's, it's a, a trip that I look forward to for the same reasons I'm sure you did to be able to see family and friends. But the game itself for me, calling it at least, is is a weird one and uh, one that I, I'm happy when it's over and I can move past. So that's that's funny to hear your, your thoughts on that. But um, as far as your time in Pittsburgh was concerned, I mentioned parts of four NHL seasons. Then you get traded to the Winnipeg Jets. And I definitely wanted to hit on this when I was looking at your career. And I remember your time in Winnipeg. I think you got an extra contract there, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, first of all, what a hockey city. And it is a hockey city. No question about that. Uh, when we go there, and I'm sure your um, perspective before playing there, that's kind of all you see. You stay at the hotel, you, you get to the arena, you play the Jets, you leave. Um, what what do you, you know, when you when you think about that city, what was it like as far as playing with the, playing for the Jets, being a part of the Winnipeg community? I mean, what do, what do we not know, I guess, about Winnipeg? I mean, pretty much the what you see on TV is pretty much what you see every day in life in Winnipeg. Hockey is everything. The Jets are everything. If you are a fourth-line left winger or a first-line right winger, you are going to get treated like an, a superhero in that city. And for me, I, when I played there, it was the second season the team had been there, and the buzz, the energy um, was incredible. Um, the weather obviously was very tough, but... Um, for me, like I said, being a bottom six guy, it's to kind of get the treatment that we receive there, um, you know, making room at a table at a restaurant, um, everywhere you go, kind of the red carpet. That that community really takes care of their hockey players, and um, you kind of seen when they started to make some playoff runs what that city um, thrives, you know, with winning and, and how important hockey is. It was a, such a great experience that I had there, and um, – one that I'll cherish for a long time. I actually made some some great friends and and people uh, from that city. And um, for how cold it is, and for for how miserable it may seem to other people, it's a very lively city, and and the people are great. Yeah, I, I've come away, you know, with the atmosphere just being blown away. That Bell MTS place obviously has got the small ceiling, and and you just feel the noise in there whenever you're in there. And I think the, the you know the the fans obviously to what you said to your point and 
just what we've seen, you know, across the board on year to year basis are are passionate and very deserving of having the Jets back in town. Uh, putting you on the spot here, though. Give me your most underrated aspect of Winnipeg. What's something that, you know, I mentioned something that people might not know, but uh, what's something that, you know, maybe you would never have expected? And then you spend some time there and you're like, wow, okay, Winnipeg. Yeah, the food was insane. Um, for being the true white, you know, true great white north is what they kind of say. Um, it the, the, the restaurant scene and, and the types of cuisine you could get there were we're top of the line. Um, some of the best pizza I've ever had um, in my life is from Winnipeg, Manitoba. And if I, you know, if I told somebody that from South Jersey, they'd stare at me and, and laugh right in my face. <laughs> but I've had so many great food experiences there um, as kind of a foodie myself. Um, that was kind of even when I play there. Would they have an American League team now? Even when we're up there, I always try to bring teammates to some some spots off kind of the beat path because. There's so many mom and dad restaurants there. It's not just built on kind of those chained um, steakhouses and chain restaurants like most cities. Every every place is kind of a mom and dad built restaurant that has it has incredible food. Yeah, I think so. Definitely an underrated city uh, when it comes to Winnipeg. And if people give it the chance, they'll see that there's a lot more there than just the cold for sure. Uh, as your career has kind of progressed from that point in Winnipeg, I want to jump ahead to a couple more recent things. Uh, I think it's fair to say that you really have carved out a nice niche for yourself uh, in the American League with Grand Rapids. You guys won the Calder Cup in 2017, still a member of that team uh, as of this past season. But let's talk a little bit about that Calder Cup championship. That was your first pro title, if I'm not mistaken. What was that whole experience like, you know, growing with that group over a couple of seasons? And then obviously throughout that Calder Cup playoff run and into the final, you played a massive role in your team uh, getting to the top. Yeah, that, that experience is something, you know, you talk about, everyone talks about in pro about how important winning is. And I think everybody wants to win, but there's a difference between wanting to win and knowing how to win. And I just think we were a group. Uh, we had a coach, Todd Nelson, who's an assistant with Dallas now, who really did a, a great job of kind of creating a family first in the locker room and then a team after that. And it was just a group of guys that genuinely cared about each other. Um, the one thing a lot of people talk about in pro hockey is how it changes when you get there. It turns into more of a job than, than a, a fun sport. And I think if you look at teams that are successful and teams that win, um, they love to be together and they would they would literally do anything it took for the guy next to him. And I think that's what made our group so special is we had so many unique pieces and we had an identity as a team, but um, we were, we were going out 20 guys to go to dinner on the road. There was never, there was never groups. It was never clicky. We were just one group of guys that just loved each other. And um, because of that, we, we had a swagger, we had a persona, we, we, we had a, um, an identity going into the playoffs that we just weren't going to lose. Um, a lot of times in playoffs, doubt sinks in and um you're overwhelmed by the travel or the schedule we we never at any point did we think that we were going to lose and we had a great group of individuals and it was it was one of the highlights of my career for, for sure i mean i've played a lot of nhl games i've had some success uh, in the nhl level but to win a championship win a calder cup that's definitely number one for me because of um, the sweat and, and the tears and, and the happiness and everything that went along with winning uh, was amazing. Did you bring it back to Philadelphia? I thought I remembered seeing something about that. So I actually was lucky. I had it for two days, and um, I had a party in Pittsburgh, and then I drove back to Ice Line in West Virginia or West Virginia, Westchester, oh, yeah. um, Westchester, PA, 
And I was able to spend a day there and had all the minor hockey programs come take pictures and, and come get a look at it. So it was, it was really nice for me because I was able to have the intimate family experience um, in Pittsburgh. And then I was kind of able to show my gratitude and appreciation to uh, the junior flyers who really helped me, I think, take the next step with my minor hockey career to getting to become a pro. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you're able to share with that many people. And obviously, you mentioned your teammates who were as big a part of any is of getting that championship. One of them was Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, now NHL All Star, probably one of the craziest looking guys I've ever seen from a distance. Uh, when you when you look at him and when you think about that kind of a player, uh, what, what do you uh, you know? Did you see NHL All Star in his future? And I also two parter for you. Did you have a roommate on that team, that championship team in Grand Rapids? Yes, I did. So for for me, uh, my roommate was Colin Campbell, who was uh, you know an older college uh, free agent signing, and um, we actually roomed really well because we had kind of synced schedules of kind of our pregame routines and and night before routines. And um, he was he was a great guy to have in the room because he was a you know a bottom six. Um, really a spark plug and, and, and an unsung hero on that team and as far as Bertuzzi I remember him coming in as a rookie and just being really really raw but the one thing that stands out for um, for me from him is just his his confidence and not in the the arrogant um kind of walk the walk type of confidence but just the ability to not be afraid to make a mistake and stay true to the type of player that he is a lot of guys come into pro and they try to be kind of something that they're not and um for him, he's on the smaller side, right around six six feet. But he'd fight anybody. He'd go to all the dirty areas. He does all the things in a, in a playoff series that make you successful. And I think that's why he's had the success that he's had um, in Detroit. He knows that he's a north south winger. Finish checks and go to the net, and you play with Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha. You're gonna you're gonna have some success. And I think he, that's why he's been able to be so good. Is he's never tried to be something that he's not, and he's only gotten better in his role. Um, instead of trying to maybe improve in other areas that aren't going to benefit him anyways. He definitely uh, established himself as an NHL winger. There's no question about that. Uh, You mentioned Colin Campbell being your roommate there in Grand Rapids, and obviously this has been a topic of conversation a lot here with everything going on with the pandemic and quarantining and who you'd want to quarantine with. I'm not going to give you that, but you've kind of had – uh, like a real life quarantine with just being on the road and having roommates throughout your pro career. Is there a best and worst roommate that's ever that comes to mind? Uh, and why are they best or worst potentially for guys that you've lived with? So I'd say obviously that Colin was best because like I said, we, I played eight years until we kind of became roommates. And like I said, we have very similar routines and, we like to have an Epsom salt bath the day before a game in the room. Um, you know, we like to shut the lights off at nine. There's so many different variables when you go into having a roommate. Um, you know, some guys like to leave the TV on when they sleep. Some guys get up at seven in the morning. Some guys sleep till the last minute before the bus leaves. Um, I just think the most important thing for having a great roommate um, was having someone with similar schedule and someone that's kind of on the same page as you. And um, it's funny, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I remember when I was young um, in Wilkesbury and then times in Pittsburgh, I remember having Ben Lovejoy and he was going through some sort of sleep issues. We always would joke about it, but he would sleep on the floor. He'd black the curtains out. He'd, <laughs> he'd take melatonin. He would do everything in his power to sleep. And I just remember being next to him all night and just hearing him fight sleeping, which would give me anxiety to fall asleep as a young guy. So um, 
I won't use the word worse, but uh, he was not the best roommate that I had in pro. And it's funny that I remember him being a roommate 11 years ago when we spent uh, time in Wilkes-Barre together because of because of his sleep schedule. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Uh, that, that is interesting. And it's, it's so funny how that can dictate so much about your game day flow with the guy that's in the room uh, next to you. Let's wind down with uh, this past year, Eric. And again, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a fun conversation, but I have a feeling we're about to learn a little bit more about some, some uh, extra notes to your career. So you began this past year, the 2019-2020 campaign in the KHL. I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Astania Baris, am I right there? Astania Baris, yes. Okay, close enough. All right. So that's Kazakhstan for our listeners that don't know. Uh, what was Kazakhstan like and the, the KHL experience? We hear so much about it. I know, you know, Ryan Whitney's made his experience famous through spitting chiclets, but uh, what, what you know, what do we uh, what do we need to know about what that was like for you? It was a hard experience. Um, <laughs> a lot of the stuff you hear um, is definitely accurate. Um, it changes your perspective on the game of hockey for sure. Um, the one thing I do respect uh, from a, a league standpoint over there is everyone is in incredible shape. Um, everyone is strong. Um, as far as the pro standpoint of playing against men, it definitely lives up to that hype. Um, but it's just a different type of hockey. It's just something that um, was very hard for me to adapt to that type of hockey Um Half the games were in an Olympic-sized rink, half were in an NHL-sized rink. Um, very, very tough travel. Um, we did one road trip. to We played in Shenzhen, China, and it was an 11-hour flight. Um, our plane only had enough gas to go five hours, so we had to stop in Mongolia to, to refuel. And um, I can proudly say that I have stepped foot in uh, Mongolia for those out there who would think that hockey would never bring you to those certain parts of the world. Um, <laughs> But it was very military-esque, um, and I don't want to use the word military because obviously their sacrifices are on a whole other level, but um, everything was very strict. There was no restrictions on work, um, two-a-days, three-days, a um, lot of pressure on, you know, in North America, you're based on, obviously statistics mean a lot, but what you provide to the team and the details you provide to the team are valued where over there, um, the only thing really valued is how many points and how many goals you score, not if you're playing the right way or not. And I think that's what I had the hardest part with is being a physical power forward. Um, I felt like I brought a lot to the game from an energy standpoint, creating space for other line mates. And um, I would go through two or three game scoreless streaks and I'd have be, be having meetings with translators about how if I don't score, I'm going to get sent home. So it was, it was a different type of experience. Um, Am I glad I did it? Yes. But at the same time, I couldn't be happier to be back in North America playing and, um, you know, being a 23 hour flight away from home was, was very hard, especially with wife and two kids. And just like I said, it's an experience I'm glad I went through, but also I'm very grateful that I was able to come back and, and reestablish myself in North America as well. A unique experience, it sounds like for sure. Last thought on that. Uh, and then we'll move on to one final thing and I'll let you go. But Kazakhstan. Um, if I'm not talking about hockey with most people, usually I'm talking about food or drinks. So this is where I'm going with that. Is there anything that jumps out in your mind from something that you had in Kazakhstan where you're uh, kind of like, wow, okay, that's that's the Kazakhstani, I think I'm saying that right, uh, cuisine right there or beverage choice? What, what, uh, what jumps out from that experience? 
And as I told you earlier, I'm a big foodie and I do like a nice cocktail. There was um, pretty much absolutely nothing that stands out in a positive light as far as what I ate um, or drank over there. So I am very happy to be home. Um, very happy to have my feet back on U.S. soil. But it was very tough. It was um, pretty much all the meals were kind of required to have with the team or at the hotel. And the same three things were served for every single meal. So I have a tough time even eating chicken and salmon right now because that's all I lived off of for um, four months while I was over there. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, uh, that's a little bit of a hurdle to go from the day-to-day operation there. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. But as far as what's next for you in your career, as you mentioned, you know, you're back up to speed after the injury that ended your season this year. Weird situation for a lot of people. Uh, right now, obviously, with this whole pandemic and, you know, the uncertainty as far as there is a plan in place for people to return to play, at least at the NHL level. But no one actually knows that that's 100 percent going to happen just because of so many intangibles that are out of anyone's control. Uh, but from your perspective, you know, just kind of getting forward and moving forward in your career, what's what are your hopes here for the next couple of years? And uh, what are you what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, for me, I, I think um you know, everybody wants to leave the game on their own terms, and um, a lot of people end up not having that opportunity. So, um, for me, I'm sitting here right now, 31 years old. I feel healthy. I feel great. Uh, my mind is good. I've learned so much about myself um, over the experiences of pro hockey that I actually feel like I'm, you know, one of the I'm, a, I'm the best that I can be at 31. So, um, I, I'm really excited to continue my career and play. And at the same time, I'm I'm doing things in the summer now. Um, obviously training is important, skating is important, but I'm getting certified in different areas. Um, I'm taking different tests, um, trying to prepare myself for the next phase of my career so that when that transition does happen, it's not going to kind of catch me off guard. And at least I'm prepared to kind of get my foot in the door because I feel like I've created so many relationships and experiences over the years that um, if I can f- find something that I enjoy, find something that I can love, there's there's people out there that – I would love to work with, and I'm sure would love to work with me because of my experiences that can help me get into the real world um, and kind of, you know, put my foot in the, in the next exciting part of my life. You've always had a good head on your shoulders, Eric. I appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck for whatever's next. I wish all the best to you and your family, and uh, we will, I'm sure, catch up in person, hopefully at some point down the line. Thanks, man. I appreciate catching up with you. And uh, if things, uh, if there aren't great reviews on the podcast, you can just blame it on me and I'll do the same and blame it on you. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> we, we go down together, just like how we started. <laughs> thanks, Eric. Yeah, that's right. Hey, big thanks to Eric for taking the time. And as he said, if this does bomb out, which it could, we will go down together being linked forever in the first episode. In a serious note, I appreciate everyone out there lending us your ears, and we will be back next week with a drink, new conversation, and new stories from the rink. This has been the Drink at the Rink podcast. I'm Josh Getzoff. Cheers, everybody.